that it is not out of our own strength, our own might, that we move forward, but it's by God's strength and God's might and his power. And I pray that you, uh, you sense that. Uh, we're coming to the end of uh, the first book of Thessalonians, and we'll look at the second book next, next week. So, but I thought, I'd give you, uh, I thought I'd give you a little break from the rapture, second coming discussion to uh, <laughs> some of you laughing you were here the last couple of weeks. By the way, we'll get to it again next week. So if you miss it this week, we'll get back. You can read 2 Thessalonians 1. We've got a couple of really fun ones coming up. We've got Judgment, and we've got the Man of Lawlessness. So just some really fun things coming up uh, in the days ahead. If you've wondered some things, I, I, I don't have all the answers. I'll tell you straight out, but I'll try to move us forward. Today, though, Paul is writing the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's his first letter to this church that he established, and he was only there about three weeks, and he's giving them instructions. Now, here's the thing about Paul. I don't think he knew there was going to be a 2 Thessalonians. I don't know if he did or not, but here's his first letter. Y'all didn't think that was funny. I think it's obvious, but that he didn't know there'd be, he'd write them again. So in these 17 verses... He is going to cram in 20 sermons, and I'm going to preach them all today. So I'm going to follow my notes just a little more carefully, only because I don't, um, I, I want to hopefully keep your attention and make sure that we're not here all day. But you'll see that, that just part, right, part of the day. Um, but the reason being, Paul is going to start just boom, 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 boom. Uh, you'll see in this passage coming up of things he's going to instruct the church about what does it mean to live in the context of faith. Look, you, um, uh, we're Americans. We're Americans. We're Alabama Americans, which makes us even more American than uh, others in other places. So whether you know it or not, you have a very individualistic view of pretty much everything. It's all about you. You know, it's all about me, and all this is for me. I mean, that's the way we operate in our lives. So we look at a passage like this in Thessalonians, and he starts saying you, and we think me. This is about me, what I'm receiving. And really, the you in this passage is not you singular, it's you plural. Um, I, I was kidding with uh, Gabe and Scott the other day about us making a Southern Bible, which there probably already is one, because you could put y'all in here. And it would make sense to everybody, right? Y'all do this. Y'all do that. And um, that's really the idea here, that the church is a community of faith. It is a, it is a group. It is a team. There's a, a little boy who's playing baseball, and his coach comes out to him, and he says, Coach says to the boy, you understand this is a team sport. And the little boy nods. The coach says, we either win as a team or we lose as a team. Do you, do you understand? The little boy nods, says, yes, sir. And he goes, and, and when the calls don't go our way, and you're called out at first base, or a call of a strike against you happens, and you don't think it's a strike, it's still about our team, and we don't yell at the umpire. We don't curse at the umpire. We don't pitch a fit. Do you understand? The little boy goes, yes, sir, yes, sir. And the coach looks at him and says, now, 
Go explain that to your mother. <laughs> We're not only individualistic, but we pass it along to others to make them think this is just about us. And Paul, in this passage, um, my translation, it, it's not totally accurate, but trying to be more inclusive in chapter 5, verse 12, he said, now we ask you, brothers and sisters. It's, it's a group context, is what I'm trying to say. He's speaking to the church. And in this, he's going to give the church, I've, I've separated it into four ideas with about five sub-points under each one. So see if you can match that, Scott. Uh, if you can get four with five under each one. So uh, on how-tos from this passage, and we're going to walk straight through the passage, 12 to the end of, end of the chapter. Here we go. First point is this. How to treat your leaders. How to treat your leaders. It says in verse 12 and 13, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So Paul is giving instructions to the church about how to do church, so to speak. How to have the right spirit. How to have the right attitude. How to, how to have faithfully live in the context of community known as the church. And the first thing he, and by the way, I understand that to some here, this could appear self-serving. Oh, the leader's telling us how to treat him. Um, you know, he'll probably announce his pastor appreciation month or something. I don't know. He'll probably go, you know, it's really not about that. If we, if we treat all the leaders in the way that we're supposed to, God will bless. God works in the context of authority, I believe. But this isn't about me. This is about us. So he's going to say, hey, community, here's how to treat your leaders. And first thing he does is, in the imp there's an implication here that he's telling the leaders how to act. He, he says to the people, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who do work, who do what? Work hard among you. So, obviously, the leader is to work hard. Um, you know, I've known some people who I think went into church life because they thought it would be easy. You know, I mean... <laughs> Really, what does the dude do other than, like, prepare a sermon every week? I mean, how hard could that be to work up one sermon per week? It's a gravy train. For some, think. Listen, the, the thing that kept me up last night was not me preaching this morning. The thing that kept me up tonight is people and their brokenness and their issues, and their problems. This is the truth. When I laid my head down last night, I was praying for a number of people in this church because I know what's going on. And there are, as I said today, there are issues that only God through his miraculous hand can, can work at. The hard work of being in the ministry is really not the public gathering, though I love this. This is probably my, this is my favorite hour and a half, I think, of the week to be with you to worship, to share, to see you, to be with you. But this is not really what church is. Church is about the connections, the intersections of our lives that come together, and that's where it takes hard work, right? 
That's where, you, listen, Fullness isn't a big church. We run a couple hundred uh, in our church, in and out. And, and you could, but you could still come here and never be seen. You could still come worship on Sunday morning for an hour and a half and never be connected. I want to encourage you to get connected. Get connected in a small group. Figure out, and if it's not an organized small group at fullness, make your own small group. You, you have my permission to gather a couple of people together and go to lunch after this and say, hey, what, God, what is God doing in your life? Have spiritual conversations. But bless those who work hard among you and who care for you in the Lord. Pastoral care, those who care for you, which includes teaching and, and growing. Here's one, one of our favorites, and who admonish you. Who admonish you, who correct you. One of my least favorite parts, of, I, I, my, it probably is my least favorite, meeting with someone who needs to hear the word of the Lord to change the direction of their life, to, to correct the course of their life. It's not easy. I'm not looking for pity because you're going to get to do the same thing. Just hang on. It's not just my responsibility, it's your responsibility as well. So, correct. That's what we do. We work hard, care for the family, admonish. That's what the leaders do, and you're to, you're to acknowledge the leadership, and as a result, you, you respect them. You hold them in highest regard. Why? Because they do all of these other things. They're on the front line. They're putting themselves out. So, have respect for them. Hold them in highest regard. Love them. Love them. Don't, don't just respect your leaders. Love those who lead in your midst. Let them know you love them and appreciate them. And one of the best ways to help your leaders, live in peace with one another. That helps the leaders when you live in peace with one another. I, I Let me just say I honestly believe there's no better church in the world than this one. I mean, and, and we're going to be 30 years old next year. The church, not me, the church <laughs> is going to be 30 years old next year. And the way you've treated me and my family, the way you've loved us, the way you've respected, the way you've um, conducted yourselves, uh, it, it has been a joy to pastor this place. Now, I understand that it's a founding pastor, and because I've been here forever, there's a certain equity that I have here. But here, here's how highly I think of you. I think if I went down tomorrow, you would treat the next pastor in the exact same way. That's how much I think of you and this church. Um, because I think that's the culture that our church has. But I want to encourage us that the devil, if this is the word of, the God, of God, the devil is going to try and come the other direction, right? So let's just acknowledge, okay, here's what leaders do. Here's what we're to do in conjunction with our, conjunction with our leaders. Then the second how-to is this. It's how to love well. How to love well. In other words, relationship with God, relationship with each other, relationship with our leaders, 
and relationship to one another. How do we love each other well? Here's what he says. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, he's just hitting us like whack, whack, whack. I mean, it's, it's just short phrases, and it gets even shorter coming up. But here's how we... How do we love well together? First thing is warn those who are idle and disruptive. And you may be saying, well, pastor, isn't that your job? Yes, I do admonish. That's part of my job. It's part of yours as well. In other words, if you see someone who needs help, correction, I want to encourage you, in love, you're already in a relationship with them. Talk to them. Your love for them will be manifest if you say to them, you're being, I don't know how you say, you idler. You know, I, but some way to say, hey, how can I help you? How can I help you get engaged in the community of faith? How can I help you get engaged in life? How can I help you not see things from a negative side, but see things from a positive side. There are ways to word things that you can, um, you, can, you can do. Hey, Chris, would you hand me a Kleenex? Or Scott's up. He's got it. He's moving. We've only got a million boxes of Kleenex in here. It shouldn't be that hard, right? Thanks. Anybody else have allergies? So welcome to this time of year. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Hey, listen, I, I know, I understand that for many of us, the last thing we want to do, the last thing we want to do is confront someone. I mean, I, I know for some, it's not in their personality type. For others, it's just, if there's anything that makes them break out in a sweat, it's the idea of confronting another person. And I want to encourage you, in faith, you can do it in love. You can speak the truth in love. If you look just to the leaders, if this is a top-down deal, we're never going to be as strong as we need to be if we're walking in a horizontal relationship with one another. So, Warren, listen, every one of these points is a sermon. Everyone, I'm trying to move through them not too quickly because there's all these caveats in the way you should warn uh, those who are idle and disruptive. But I just want to help encourage you that is part of your responsibility, not just, not just mine. And he goes on and says, encourage the disheartened. Encourage the disheartened. Discouraged people are in danger of quitting. We don't want people to quit. And I, I've said this before, and I heard someone else say it, and it's so true for me. If there's, if there's anything that will cause me to retire early, it's, it's people slipping into the darkness. It's people slipping away from their faith. It's, it's the part that is the most discouraging to me, to preach, pour into people, pour into people's lives, help, do everything we can, get them engaged and help them in many ways, and for them to kind of slip off into the darkness um, breaks my heart. We can encourage the disheartened. It's not just my job. It's all of our jobs to encourage people. Then 
help the weak. Help the weak. There are people who are weaker than us, and we, we need to help them. The, um, there's a story about a helicopter that was flying around Seattle, and suddenly his communication system went out, his navigation system went out. It was kind of hazy, foggy. He couldn't get his bearings. He had a <clears throat> person in the helicopter with him, and he, he, he came up to a high-rise building, and he circled around the high-rise and trying to figure out where he was, uh, see if he could get his bearings back. And so he just wrote out a sign and held it up and said, where am I? And the people in the building saw the sign that said, where am I? And they, they, they quickly scribbled out a big sign and they held it up and they said, you're in a helicopter. <laughs> Guy got out his maps, flew to the airport, landed. And his passenger said, how in the world did you know where you were when all they said was you're in a helicopter? He said, oh, it's no problem. I knew, uh, I, you know, I, I knew I was at Microsoft. And the guy goes, how did you know that? He said, well, because they technically answered my question, but they weren't really any help. Helping, thanks, come back to me. <laughs> Sometimes the church is like that when we help the weak. We give glib spiritual answers that actually do no good. You know, helping the weak is not just saying, oh, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, sister. Maybe helping the weak is actually getting engaged in their life and helping them. They're, this is active. This is not just some spiritual, trite spiritual saying that we want to give them. We want to help the weak. Um, and he says, be patient with everyone. Oh, this is where it gets personal for me. I want everything yesterday. And most of you do too. We are an impatient microwave society. Boom, just give it to me now. So as a result, we're not patient. I mean, it's, the lack of patience is unbelievable. How long is a microsecond? Have you heard this before? How long is a microsecond? It, it's, it's the time between when the light turns green and the guy behind you honks. <laughs> That's a microsecond. You know what? That, I, get moving, buddy. And we're just as bad. Uh, I'm just as bad. Be patient with whom? Everyone. Okay, I'm going to move on. Like I said, there are 30 sermons here. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Wow, this is hard. But it's the body life is striving to do what is good for each other. I have to confess, not only am I impatient, but I've never really been great at this turn-the-other-cheek thing. It's, it doesn't naturally just kind of like, yeah, hit me again, kind of thing. I, I respond negatively. My words do not um, bring light. If it, in and of myself, I cannot do this. My natural response, I'm not much of a fighter. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not going after anyone physically. But verbally... 
Strive to do what is good for each other. Don't pay back wrong for wrong. Paul's going to expound on this idea in Romans later in his writings. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. By the way, there's a caveat in here that's very important. As far as it depends on you. Not every peaceful situation depends on you because there's another person involved. They may refuse to live at peace. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. He goes on about that a little longer. And then he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, I... I, I want to stop and preach on this. That the church too often today is saying, I'm going to use the same weapons that the world does to fight the battle. Whether it's in my job or in my family or the political arena or wherever it is, let's use the same. Look, we do not overcome evil with evil. Two negatives are not going to make a positive in this situation. Instead, we overcome evil with good. The family. How do we love well? Live at peace. Don't repay evil for evil. It's a challenge, is it not? Our natural response to this doesn't go well here. We need to learn to love each other, learn to love each other well. By the way, if we do that, the world will know we're the followers of Jesus Christ, right? This is what Jesus said. They'll know you're my disciples by the love you have one for another. Third point. Are we having fun? Everybody feeling good? All right, moving on. How to worship together. How to worship together. You may look at this next passage and say, Pastor Bart, I don't think this is really about worship. But I, I think there is this element of y'all being communicated even stronger here. Here's my point on worship, and I've tried to teach it over the years. Worship, worship is not just about you and God. Well, it is, but it's not. If you want to stay home and worship by yourself in your room, then it's you and God. But when we come together as the corporate body, now it's me and God and you. There is vertical Aspect of worship, declaring God is worthy, but in the context of the body, we do it together. We're, we're, we're trying to understand, go read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, um, Paul, Paul will expound on this idea of the corporate worship, spiritual gifts operating in a corporate context. But he says these things, I think, which are a part of both our lives together and our lives of worship. And he's going to get faster. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. How long we got to talk about this passage, right? I mean, it's just one quick command saying, injunction, uh, whatever the word is, talking to us, trying to speak into our lives. First thing he says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. 
How often are you to rejoice? By, by the way, um, I, I don't think joy is the absence of trouble. But joy is the presence of Christ. So it's not about how few problems you have. It's about your relationship. You may be saying, how can I be joyful always? Because Christ loves you. The Spirit of God indwells you. The Father's love is being poured out upon you. So you have the capability to rejoice. You can also pray continually. Pray continually. And I don't mean just going around not talking to anybody, mumbling under your breath the whole time. But be in a constant state of prayer. Constantly communicating with God. Practicing his presence. Trying to hear from him. And all, all the time, you can do it at work. You can do it when you're doing the dishes, when you're running, when you're even uh, driving. You know, <laughs> might be a good time to pray uh, for any number of reasons. But <coughs> pray continually. Again, I, I don't want to... I love these passages, but um, in Ephesians, Paul even expounds it. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There's a lot of alls there. There's, you know, it's how, 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 should, how, how often should I pray? All the time. What kind of prayer? All kinds of prayers. Always keep on praying. For who? For the Lord's people. Keep on praying. Be, be in prayer. All the time. Pray continually. We believe that, we believe that um, we're a house of prayer. In our worship, we're a praying people. In our prayers, we're a worshiping people. We want to pray all the time. Give thanks in all circumstances. Hey, Thanksgiving's in a couple weeks. Give thanks, not just one time a year. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Gratitude, I, I think, is really winsome. Being grateful is winsome. As a matter of fact, I think an ingrate is one of life's ugliest creatures. Someone who's never thankful. Look, even in my own family, I can tell you this, since none of my kids are here. The ones, they might be watching, but um, the ones I was most likely to actually give them what they asked for were the ones who were grateful, not the ones who whined. I responded badly to whining. Uh, wine is more than just a drink. It will get you nowhere. Um, and probably the drink won't either. But whining in my world w would cut things off. I was much more likely to give it to the one who's grateful. Um, I think God works better than me. Uh, but I do think that being grateful is a, is a position that is winsome to the world. Um, I can't remember what year. I think it was around 2004. Um, somewhere in there. Oprah, you, you remember this scene? You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. She gave a car to every single person in her audience one day. It was a Pontiac G something. Cost about $30,000. Man, these people were going crazy getting this car. They're just so happy to get the car until they learned how much income tax they were going to have to pay on the car. 
Pontiac had paid for the sales tax, but the income tax of winning a 30,000 car for many of them was five or $6,000. So they're getting a brand new car given to them. Now the IRS has taken their cut, so you're going to have to pay your five or six. They griped. I mean, you would have thought somebody stabbed them or robbed their house or tried to take away their children. I don't know. Why? Because the spirit of ingratitude many times just takes over our hearts and our lives. Give thanks in all circumstances. Moving forward. Again, I told you this could be 20 sermons. Do not quench the spirit. Do not put out the spirit's fire. We're to be a grateful people. And I think there's an aspect of gratitude and the work of the spirit that kind of go together, actually. But don't, don't quench the spirit. How do you sometimes put out the spirit's fire? Wow, this is, again, could be a long list, could be a whole way of doing it. Uh, I, I think wrong attitudes, aspects of sin at work in our lives, insensitivity, selfishness, not receiving God's word, maybe even not walking in the gifts that the Spirit of God has placed within you could also quench the Spirit's fire. Think about that. I mean, God has given you a gift, right? Right? We've all been given spiritual gifts. I look around the room. Every single person who knows Jesus is the one who rules their life and forgives their sin and is filled with the Spirit. You have a spiritual gift. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? You can talk to me. Build up the body of Christ. Again, we're back to this. How do we live in the context of community? Spiritual gifts build up the body of Christ. It's not clever ideas that build up the body of Christ. It's not a nice building. It's not, I mean, we understand that there's a reaching the world that we have to do. But it's not those things that build up the body of Christ to make us strong. Really, it's what God gifts us with, which is spiritual gifts. Therefore, walk in your spiritual giftedness. It builds us up. It glorifies him to, we're stronger. Possibly quenching the spirit is not just, it's just not walking in what God has given you. Being an unfaithful steward of the giftings he's placed in your life. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. All right. Again, full sermon here. The whole idea of prophecies and what does he mean by prophecies? How is he speaking of this? Um, just revealing my hand. We are a church that believes all the gifts of the Spirit are available today. We believe all of them are in operation, including the gift of prophecy. Um, I, I think he's more talking about the gift of prophecy here. We could argue about it, whether he's talking about prophecy as a proclamation of the word of God, meaning the Bible, uh, an exegetical sermon, or if God is speaking. I, I tend to think it's probably both, actually. It's not an either or, but, the, but he says, test them all. Test them all, right? So what, is he, what are we testing? Well, I'm not testing the Word of God because the Word of God stands firm no matter what. I'm testing the Word of prophecy against the Word of God. God's Word stands true no matter what, but we're trying to hear from God. And he goes on here and says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now, if I define prophecy as the operation of spiritual gift that's still in 
operation today, I think one of the ways we could possibly treat it in contempt is to say it doesn't work anymore. That's just me, though. You don't have to, you don't have to go that direction. Hold on to what is evil. I mean, <laughs> no. Opposite. <laughs> I just want to see if you're listening. <clears throat> Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Don't mess with evil. Reject it. You know, honestly, we live in a world, don't we, that says, I can walk right up to the edge of the fire. I can get really close and not get burned. This past week, we, we, the staff had a retreat, and we, we were at Caroline and Tyler's house, which was so nice. They, they had us over, and they have a fire pit. You know, Ty, Tyler has had this survival training. So, you know, me, when I build a fire, I'm just throwing wood out there. I've got a lot of newspaper, maybe some gas, and uh, <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to make a fire pit. I mean, for Tyler, it was like step by step by step by step by step. Uh, it was very intentional, but it got really hot. I mean, it was a good fire, but I could feel it just kind of, you can't walk up to the edge of evil. There are a lot of people who can't make it back. Once they get to that place, they, it's just so appealing. And they step into it. And the next thing they know, their life is consumed. You can just go with whatever direction you want to on this consumption, but their life is consumed. Um, we need to hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. All right, I'm moving faster. Fourth point, how to live together peacefully. How to live peacefully. May God himself... The God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you on the marriage retreat, you know this is the passage we use to kind of talk about what does it mean to be in a one flesh relationship. Because Paul gives this vision of a person that they're made up of spirit, soul, meaning the way we define it, what from Watchman Nee, where mind, will, and emotions is your soul arena, and then your body, this carton that you, you carry around. And Paul is saying, may your entire spirit, which now because the Holy Spirit indwells you, has been enlightened. The spirit of the man was darkened before, but now because of who you are in Christ. Am I talking too fast? You still with me? The spirit of God indwells you and makes you light. The spirit, a Holy Spirit, is inside of you. And your soul, your mind, a will, and emotions, and your body be kept blameless. And, and my contention is this. I think most lasting change comes from the inside, say your spirit, soul, body, comes from the inside out, not the outside in. Behavioral modification will say this. Don't do that. And then maybe if you don't do that long enough, then you won't want to do it. You won't think about doing it. It won't consume your thoughts, and it won't become a part of you. I'm not totally opposed to behavioral modification, but I think lasting change, sanctification, holiness comes from the inside out. How do we live peacefully with one another? The one who calls you, he is faithful, and he will do it. It's him at work in me, 
working his way out that actually changes me. Look, if I want to be, I want to live a peaceful life, then part of that is living a life in which God transforms me. Process called sanctification, holiness. But it's not about being this holy, you know, like holiness kind of thing. Like I put on this show of how I act, but rather being transformed by the power of the Spirit, the love of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God that indwells me. That's sanctification. And it will cause me to live peaceful in the sense of not that my circumstances will be right, but I cannot be rocked. God will shake everything that can be shaken so that that which can't be shaken will remain. He wants to shake all of the stuff that is not him out of you. And then one of our favorite verses, greet all God's people with a holy kiss. Just thought we'd, I thought we'd have a welcome time, greeting time here in just a minute. And <laughs> Again, I think there's, I, I, I don't want to be crass or, I, but I think there's an intimacy in the body of Christ that we miss in our culture. I mean, I, I've been to the Mideast, and they do a lot of this kissing thing. You know, like, you know, cheek to cheek kind of thing. First time I went, I didn't know you weren't really supposed to kiss someone. I thought they were really kissing each other. You know, they're just, boom, you know, they're just hitting the cheek side, but they're not really like kissing each other on the cheek. Not me. I went in. I'm going, all right, I'm going to enjoy the culture. This guy looks at me like, okay. It took, it took a while for me to figure out, oh, it's kind of a fake kiss. In case you go over, just a helpful hint on operating with other cultures. But there is this intimacy that takes place in the body of Christ that we miss, right? I mean, I don't want to let anybody into my little world, really, because then you might actually know me. Then you might actually see me. Then you might actually know, and I'm ashamed. Because shame keeps me from intimacy in every arena of life. You'll never, until you deal with your shame issues, you won't let people in. But God, God who's rich in mercy, he's made you alive. He's taken the shame and guilt upon himself so that you can walk in holiness and life. I don't encourage us. I, I, I understand how compact and full this passage is. But I, I, one of my favorite authors died this week. Um, you may or may not have heard of him. He's a, he's a man by the name of Gordon Fee. Gordon Fee um, was a commentator. He was um, the first what I'll call Pentecostal intellectual that I ever heard of. Now, I'm not, I'm not nailing Pentecostals. I'm just saying he just, there, there's an anti-intellectualism many times among Pentecostals. But Gordon Fee was born and raised Pentecostal and 
um, got his PhD from the University of Southern California in Biblical Studies, which I didn't even know USC offered that degree, uh, if I think about it. But this was back in the day. Went on to become a, a teacher, a writer. He wrote the commentary on 1 Corinthians. That was the first thing. I, I'm geeking out just a little bit. But his commentary on 1 Corinthians, his, his explanation of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 greatly impacted how I viewed spiritual gifts. You've been the beneficiary because I've taught his stuff to you a hundred times. His book, God's Empowering Presence, was the book that changed my life, that, that made me really look at the church in a different light, to say, this is not just about me and God. God is not looking... For I think I stole this phrase from him. I've adapted it a little bit over the years. But God is not looking for a person after his name. He's looking for a people after his name. The idea that we are saved into community. There is no in the New Testament. He talks about, it's an extensive Paul, the Spirit, and the people of God about how the Spirit indwells us to make us one. And here, Paul, in all his glory, so to speak, is hammering it again and again and again. How do we live a life of faith? We live it in the context of community. We treat leadership well. We love each other sincerely. We worship together in spirit and in truth. We allow God to continue his work of holiness in our lives so that we can, as a people, individually and corporately, live at peace. That's who we're called to be. And this morning, I pray that God, he who is faithful, will do it. Lord, we thank you this morning for your power and your presence and your, your glory that fills this place. We pray that Lord, we would, we would love well, we would worship fully, we would walk in peace. Let fullness, I pray, dear God, be characterized by this. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.